0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're
0: listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.
1: Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got an awesome weekend of games ahead of us. We'll kick things off looking at some of those games with Ben Fennel in Saturday Scouting, where we will also look at Mel Kuyper's latest big board, a new mock draft. We'll highlight some of the traits we value most in the press cornerback role. That's going to be a fun conversation. We've also got some some bad news as well that we're going to cover uh, as well. We'll do all of that at the top of the show right here in Saturday Scouting. After that, Mr. Relevant this week, Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports and World. He joins the show to talk about players. From his neck of the woods up in the uh up in the, the Midwest, some player comps and, and guys who have seen their stock soar so far in 2020. Then we will wrap things up with pick six, where Ross Tucker and I go head to head once again with another set of six games to break down and predict. Before we get things going, again, just a quick reminder: best way to help us out, go on to Apple Podcasts, throw us a rating, throw us a comment. If you throw us a question, we will answer it. If you throw us a mock draft, we'll break it down. And guess what? The queue is empty for next week's show, so if you jump on, you leave a rating, you leave a comment, you leave a question, or one of those mocks, we will break it down next week, early in the week, on the episode. So then now is the time. Jump on, throw us your review, and again, it's the best way to help us out. You can't. There's no better way to throw us your support than to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and leave a comment. Really appreciate everybody that has always done that, uh, you know, or has done that so far leading into this episode. All right, let's get things started here. It's time now for Saturday scouting. It's
0: time for Saturday Scouting.
1: All right, let's get into it now. Here with Saturday scouting, and we're going to start things off with draft buzz with Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, look, this has been crazy. Just kind of you know getting ready for this episode. There are games that are like up in the air. Games that have been canceled as you know, COVID nineteen just uh, obviously you know doing a lot of damage. Not just in college football all over the country, um, as many expected it would with the college football schedule. You got a bunch of games that have been you know postponed. Alabama, LSU, uh, the Auburn game, the Texas A and M game. I mean, there's been games all over the country. Obviously, a couple in the Pac twelve. Uh, last week. So we'll put that part of it aside. We've got plenty of stuff to kind of get to. We'll start with uh, just kind of some tough news to hear Thursday night um, or Wednesday night, I should say. Uh, Penn State running back Journey Brown uh, will retire from football due to a heart issue. It was kind of a you know a cloudy announcement back in the beginning of the season that uh, Journey Brown would miss the entire 2020 campaign, and uh, now we have found out why. They got final word that he is being forced to retire. One of the most dynamic playmakers at the position, uh, you know, for college football and you know for, for the future NFL draft, uh, he. will now uh, retire from the sport, which is tough to hear.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate. uh, It's a weird college football season, but we are not with uh, the lack of news on a daily basis, and it seems like an hourly basis. You have games being canceled and postponed, players opting out, senior bowl invites already going out, hearing unfortunate retirements like Journey Brown. Really unfortunate, uh, what seemed like a consensus top five running back in this class coming up, but you know, this game produces a lot of great citizens in life. They're great dads, brothers, husbands, neighbors, bosses, coworkers. Go take what this game, you know, provides you and go be great in something else. So uh, rooting for Journey Brown. Hope he uh, lands on his feet with whatever he wants to do.
1: Yeah, it's well said. Uh, let's get to some of that other big news that you mentioned. In Florida State uh, head coach Mike Norvell put out uh, on Wednesday afternoon that a couple of key Seminoles uh, will not be playing for the rest of the year. And some of the big ones there, Marvin Wilson on defense will miss the rest of the season with a lower body uh, injury. I believe it was a, a leg injury. Um, he, he will now miss the rest of the year. He will be remaining around the program, though, and you would expect that uh, knowing the character of Marvin Wilson. And then another one, Tamari and Terry, the talented wide receiver, he is no longer with the program up to this point. I believe it was unspecified as to why Uh, they had some transfers as well. Um, You know, so a bunch of names uh, leaving that Florida State program not going to be available. Uh, What are your thoughts there, Ben? You know, some of the takeaways there from Wilson and Terry in particular. Yeah, it's
2: unfortunate the way the season's gone uh, under the new regime at Mike Norvell. It seems like the mice are starting to scurry away as the season's really unfolding at the seams. But Tamari and Terry interesting player. He's dealt with a knee injury most of the season. And he might be able to just look at, you know, the collective team, their competitive nature. You know, I'm just going to go work on the draft on my own. I know it's kind of a uh, unspecified and a very vague reason. They pretty much said it was Terry's decision. We've seen that around college football. I'm not saying that's a a bad decision or he's a bad guy. Um, And Marvin Wilson, he came back for that senior year, really wanted to be the face of the program for Norvell. Just hasn't worked out. A little bit of the injury and, uh, you know, I'm wishing him the best uh, in his draft prep.
1: No question. So let's now get to uh, it's a little bit of positive news. I would say Mel Kuiper <laughs> releasing his uh, more recent big board uh, and some top five position rankings. And we're not going to go through the whole thing, obviously, but just a couple takeaways uh, just from seeing that. Obviously, Mel Kuiper, one of the godfathers uh, of this business. And for me, the big takeaway, Rondell Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue, a player you and I both are big, big fans of. He was previously not ranked by Mel Kuiper in the big board now makes the appearance at number 23, has not played a down yet this season, but still makes that jump into the top 25. To me, that means he's hearing that from somebody like, yeah, I know Rondell hasn't played, but this guy's going to be in the first round conversation.
2: And Fran, I got to say, I love when these articles come out. We love Mel Kuiper Jr., but let's just really quickly, 20 seconds, explain what his process is because when these come out, it perks up all of our eyes and ears and attentions because he's a plugged-in guy. He's talking to GMs. He's talking to scouts. He's figuring out where the buzz is. Mel Kuyper isn't grinding hours and hours of tape in his basement like maybe a DJ is or some other draft analyst. He has his niche and his contacts and reaching out. So I love seeing these lists and a lot of the names because there's usually a lot of weight and he's not just making this up saying he's watching tape on a Sunday night saying, Oh, this tackle looks good. Let me put him up. He's hearing, you know, actual validated buzz about prospects from NFL teams. So as much as this is a, this is his list, it's very much a reflection of what he's hearing. So things like Rondell Moore at 23 overall, previously not ranked, typically getting that from somewhere like you had just mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for fans to realize, and this isn't just for NFL draft. This is for coverage of your favorite sport, coverage of your favorite team. Understand like what every uh, media member's role is, right? You know, Not everybody is an analyst. Not everybody is a reporter. Not everybody is a journalist. Not everybody, uh, you know, everybody's kind of got their strengths and what they do and how they present their information. So it's important just to know, like, how is that information being presented? Where is that coming from? Is this opinion? Is this hearsay? not hearsay, but is this coming from word of mouth? Uh, just you know, interesting to kind of take it from that standpoint. Who's? Uh, what was your number one takeaway?
2: Yeah, but some of the nuts and bolts, Mac Jones, QB5, seems Mm. like he's that middle-of-the-pack guy that's kind of emerging from Kyle Trask and Jamie Newman and Sam Ellinger. He's QB5 right after the the hot three and Zach Wilson in there at four. How about this running back group? You have Journey Brown out, running back three. You have Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams from North Carolina, and his running back partner, Michael Carter. Running back seven, two North yep. Carolina Tar Heels in the top ten running back group. First name on this whole list that I wrote down and said, I got to go watch this guy because I don't know who he is. Virginia Tech tight end James Mitchell, actually. Number, thir- number three on his tight end list. Kyle Pitts, we know, that kind of moved tight end in the past game. Pat Friermuth, more of the traditional Y tight end. James Mitchell sitting there at tight end three. I thought that was really interesting. And my only other real takeaway, Fran, if there's some tackles not on the list, that's because they're at guard. There's a yep. couple tackles there. Alex Leatherwood, Rashawn Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, Zion Johnson, all playing tackle this season, except Rashawn Slater. I think he opted out. Yep. Um, but they're all projected to move into guard at the next level. So, really interesting conversation about positional fit and where those guys are going to play. Um, but a really interesting uh, article here and a lot of a lot of interesting names.
1: Yeah. My last takeaway, real quick, is just a uh, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith ahead of Jamar Chase. At, you know, both guys are number five, number six, but Javante Smith jumping up eight slots previously at number 13 for Mel Kuyper. Chase, who has not played, obviously opted out, dropped down a couple slots from the number four. So just interesting to kind of see Devante Smith uh, taking a little bit of a uh, front seat to <laughs> Jamar Chase. I don't know if that if that's how it's going to play out, um, but really interesting nonetheless. Yeah, do you don't, don't see that too often
2: of that. around some of the oh. rankings. I thought that one stuck out. My last takeaway I mentioned in the podcast earlier in the week, we are just starting the conversation with interior defensive line class. Yep. We see Jordan Davis in the first round of mocks all over the place. Nowhere in Mel Kuyper's top ten at the moment. Wow. And I think that's the way it's trending. He it reminds me of Lecky Foto who's a fourth round pick last year. He is what he is. So when you look at this D tackle list and you see J2 and Onzarike and Jalen Twyman and Darius Stills and Tommy Toigia from Ohio State, we're just starting this conversation of interior D-line for the draft class. There's good players but we're just kind of turning that page over uh, in figuring out who they are.
1: I like that. All right, so let's get into some of the matchups here for this weekend. And and one of the big ones is in the ACC, Virginia Tech against Miami. And some players that we've talked about over the last few weeks, uh, we'll start off with Virginia Tech's left tackle, Christian Darashaw. He's a guy that you and Dan have both been kind of hyping up over the last couple of months. He was in Mel Kuyper's, I believe, top 15, top 20 uh, overall on his big board. I think you look at Darshaw against this Miami duo of pass rushers with Quincy Rocher, the Temple transfer, Jalen Phillips, the UCLA transfer, former number one overall recruit in the entire country. This will be a cool matchup here for Shaw and one that everybody's going to be going back and watching, especially when you look at him in the run game, how he's able to move people. I don't have questions there, but how is he going to do against the explosive first step of Quincy Roche, against the overall athletics, uh, athleticism of Jalen Phillips? I think this is going to be an interesting matchup here for Shaw.
2: Yeah, this is a really fun matchup, an NFL prospect versus prospect matchup through and through. I want to see how Derrishaw, if he could really get that movement in the run game. Quincy Roche is a guy that likes to dip around blocks and shoot into gaps. And if he has that twitch in, in his pass rushes, Derrishaw is a guy that wants to kind of grab you and control you. We'll see how he handles the twitchy uh, Quincy Roche. But I'm going to go with a guy, a couple guys you've been talking about this season. Interesting matchup, SMU running back Ulysses Bentley, the fourth averaging nearly six yards a carry, 10 touchdowns this year. And Fran did a nice little profile last week on this massive linebacker from Tulsa, Zaven Collins at 6'4", 260. I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup between a running back linebacker and kind of conflicting styles. Bentley more of the uh, kind of perimeter satellite back and Zaven Collins every bit of 260. He looks like a defensive end out there in space. So fun matchup.
1: And he doesn't run like a defensive end. It's the scary. No, part certainly of it. not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, this is a matchup we'll be talking about a little bit later as well uh, with Ross Tucker. I'm going to go to the SEC here for my second one, and I'm looking at Georgia and Missouri and Missouri's got a couple of guys right up the middle of that defense that really intrigued me number one I love the middle linebacker Nick Bolton he really reminds me of Devin Bush man. I, I you look at his explosive profile playing sideline to sideline coming downhill really violent <clears throat> on contact he's got the ability uh, to make plays both in the run game and in the passing game and then in front of him he's got a defensive tackle there and Kobe Whiteside that you know I, I don't know if Whiteside's necessarily going to be like a, a full-time three down starter in the NFL but I kind of liked him as a spark plug player you I thought that this is a guy that uh, certainly could come in, find a role. I kind of liked him to like a, a DJ Jones, right? When DJ Jones was coming out of Ole Miss, yeah, kind of a spark plug nose tackle. I kind of feel that Whiteside could be that kind of player for an NFL team. Uh, he's got some power. He's strong enough to hold his ground in the run game. He times the snap well. Uh, he's active. A lot of the things that I liked about DJ Jones, uh, who's turned out you know a nice role player for the 49ers, I kind of see some of those similar things with Kobe Whiteside. So you look at, Whiteside, and you look at Nick Bolton in the middle of that Missouri defense going up against a Georgia offensive line. They've got players once again. You know, we know that some of those guys. One guy we haven't talked about, though, the left guard, Justin Schaefer, who he has stood out to me in a couple games watching Georgia live this year. I know watching him against Auburn, I'm saying, like, man, like who is this guy getting movement at the left guard spot on double teams? And, yeah, it's Justin Schaefer. And I went back and watched the film of that one. This guy, I don't know what Auburn did to him last year, but this guy was getting <laughs> after people, down after down after down. He was finishing every single play. Uh, he was always the guy throwing the last shove, the last push, at the top of piles. Justin Schaefer – He's a little bit limited athletically. I don't think. I think he's probably subpar from that standpoint. I think that you know his foot quickness is a little bit questionable. I think you know, obviously only a one-year starter as well. So um, you know, there's going to be some questions in terms of all right. Well, wh- what can this guy really be for us moving forward? But he's six four three thirty. He can get some movement in the run game, and I love his toughness. Even though there are some you know the the, the physical tools are a little bit questionable. This kind of guy finds a job in the NFL, and even though he's only a one-year starter, uh, he is a senior. I'm excited to see more of Justin Schaefer moving forward. This is kind of an interesting matchup there in the middle in this game.
2: We don't talk about George' offense a whole lot this year. Big changing of the guard, new quarterback, new running backs, offensive line, big turnover. Fun scouting term. A buddy of mine said Nick Bolton had an umpire core. He said an umpire core. So what's an umpire core? So you know umpires in baseball, they wear the padding under their shirts. He says that's what his chest looks like. He's all rocked up. He's all chess. He's been a thumping linebacker. You see that with Devin Bush too. The kind of physical profiles are there too. I take. like that. Just want to give a shout out to Cal there. Their game canceled last week against Washington. Tons of prospects on defense. Coney Dang, awkward, 6'6", 240-pound inspector gadget linebacker. Cam Bynum, senior corner, edge Cameron Good, 14 TFLs, 9 and a half sacks, facing Arizona State this week. But my one-on-one matchup of the week, I think this guy has an opportunity to make himself a lot of money here, Fran. And we all know Notre Dame safety linebacker, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa huge game last week against Clemson. But he's going to see Hunter Long this week at Boston College. One of our favorite, I think, all-round tight ends. A guy that's going to get after you in the run game. He's pretty good in his short intermediate route running, especially off play action and concepts like that. If he can separate and maybe make a couple of nice catches on third down and man coverage against a Wusu Koromoa level of player, I'm putting Hunter Long into a day two conversation all day long. So I think this is an opportunity for him to really not only make some money in the draft, but put his name into a national conversation as far as being a top tight end prospect in this group and reflecting back to Mel Kiper, Hunter Long sitting right there at tight end seven in the group. So Hmm. he's being noticed, and I think he's trending up.
1: If you had to set an over/under on tight end seven for Hunter Long, if he were to come out, I would take the over on that one. I feel like he would be more than the seventh tight end drafts when it's all said and done. He's a does that, he's does a that mean he
2: vote. does that mean he's tight end eight nine ten or does no? That mean like I I think through. I think okay.
1: more like uh, tight end like three four five like something in that role. We're, I think that right.
2: ballpark is right in the meat of, meat of where he's going to go. Other guys too, Kenny Yaboa in yep. there. I think the tight end conversation is still sorting itself out.
1: No question. We talked a lot about the tight end position uh, last week. I believe here on the show we talked about it a lot as well on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I thought we had a really fun conversation in regards to Evan Ingram this week and the value of a tight end like that and what he can do and some of the limitations with a guy like that. So make sure you go uh, check that out over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast uh, as well. All right, let's get to our mock draft roundup where every single week we pick a mock draft out in the interwebs and uh, take a look at who they've got the Eagles picking and who else is going in that area of the draft. This week, we're going to take a mock draft from Matt Miller from Bleacher Report uh, who has the Eagles selecting at 19th overall. Five picks before the Eagles. Let's take a look at these, Ben. 14th overall, the Denver Broncos selecting offensive tackle Rayshon Slater from Northwestern. You mentioned him earlier, a guy that uh, opted out uh, of this class, but a three-year starter before that. So plenty of film out there on Northwestern's Rayshon Slater. 15th overall, the San Francisco 49ers taking a quarterback in Florida's Kyle Trask. 16th overall, the Miami Dolphins taking Texas pass rusher Joseph Osai. 17 overall, the Las Vegas Raiders taking hulking nose tackle Jordan Davis. 18 overall, the Chicago Bears also going quarterback, and that's Alabama's Mac Jones. Ben, biggest takeaway there?
2: I don't know if I necessarily like Kyle Trask fit in that Niners offense. I want mm. more mo- mobility to kind of carry out that play-action boot system and you know a little bit more dual threat ability. I think Kyle Trask, I've comped a Nick Foles-style player. A guy that plays really well within rhythm, really accurate player. Uh, He'll play from under pressure in the pocket, uh, really hang late into his progressions because he's tough. Uh, Interesting pick there. But 49ers, a lot of people thinking uh, they want to move on from Jimmy G or at least get some competition in there. And then you see Mac Jones there at 18 with the Bears. And right before him, we just talked about Jordan Davis, first-round pick in a lot of mock drafts. But the more we see some of these scouts and analysts that we really respect that are talking in NFL circles, doesn't seem like he's a round one, maybe not even a round two or three player. So mm. I think that conversation is still kind of sorting itself out. Nice to see Joseph Osai out there as well, 16th overall. I know Matt's never too shy about throwing a Texas Longhorn in the first round, but Osai seems to be really gaining steam halfway through the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at six quarterbacks in the top 18 there. Obviously, the big four guys going up uh, relatively high. But then you throw Trask in at San Francisco at 15. Uh, you throw in uh, Mac Jones in at, mm-hmm. at 18 with Chicago. I, I think that would be the biggest surprise. Uh, for and me. really
2: quick, friend, just to refl- keep reflecting back to Mel Kiper. He is a defensive end group. And an outside linebacker. I know, yep. yep. When I you know. look at the outside linebacker group, it's like a catch-all of everything. You have Obusa yes. Koromoa, you have Quincy Roche, you have Joseph Asai, who played off-ball at 6'4", 255 last year. Then you have these twitchy guys like Ojalari and Roche and Jabril Cox, cover linebacker. That seems seems to be his catch-all of big safeties, undersized edges, hybrid players, outside linebacker group.
1: All right, let's get to the five picks after the Eagles. Again, the Eagles picking at 19. So at 20, the Cleveland Browns selecting Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. 21, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking North Dakota State left tackle Dylan Radins. 22, the Indianapolis Colts selecting Wake Forest pass rusher Carlos Boogie Basham. 23, the Arizona Cardinals selecting Northern Iowa tackle Spencer Brown. And then 24, the Baltimore Ravens taking Michigan defensive end Quiddy Pay. Give us your, your takeaway here, Ben.
2: Yeah, a couple of FCS tackles in there with uh, yep. Ray Dunes and Spencer Brown. I like those picks. I would probably flip Quiddy Pay and Carlos Basham. I think Pay, who I've said on Twitter earlier the week, is the most unblockable player through three weeks. Yeah, literally been tearing through tackles. One of the most explosive players. The Ravens just seem to have this aesthetic about Michigan and Alabama players. Anytime you're kind of deciding with who Ozzie Newsome and Harbaugh is going to pick out there. Find a Crimson Tide, find a Michigan Wolverine. That's usually a safe bet. So I can definitely envision Pay being a Baltimore Raven, but I think he's going to leap for leapfrog Carlos Basham as far as the pecking order of edge rushers.
1: I have not done Spencer Brown yet. Have you, have you done Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa?
2: I don't think so. I think I watched a game or two. Uh, somebody told me they were intrigued, and I, just, I think I just watched a couple flashes of him just to get a profile, but I still need to do a full report. And I probably should, considering he has no season and is already uh, heading to the Senior Bowl.
1: Correct, exactly. Uh, So certainly a name to keep an eye on. So uh, now the, the drum roll here for the Eagles at 19. They get Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddell. So let's talk about this blurb here from Matt. Uh, You can be excited about Travis Fogelman also recognize that the Philadelphia Eagles desperately need more at the wide receiver position. That's even after spending early round picks on J.J. Arthago whiteside in 2019 and Jalen Rager in 2020. With Jalen Waddell on the board at 19 overall, the Eagles have to swoop in and make him the selection. Waddell is one of the most explosive and exciting prospects in the 2021 draft class. And for Philadelphia, a big play wide receiver with game-changing speed is a huge need. Waddell suffered a season-ending ankle injury but that should not stop teams from taking him in the first round. He's a complete receiver with home run, home run potential, which has to be exciting for anyone tired of seeing Greg Ward and Fulgham as the team's best outside game or outside passing game option. So Ben is Jalen Waddle going to make it to 19?
2: I don't think so. But it's an interesting, you know, idea of plugging him into the Eagles offense. I'm more than okay with him there. Yep. I think if if he is available at 19, you you find Marquise Goodwin and have him sprint up that card uh, because yeah, that's right, an absolute yeah, right. steal in my opinion. <laughs> but, Fran, my question to you, when I think about Jalen Waddell, and it's kind of an interesting conversation. When you talk about Andy Reid's offense, is that a matchup offense or is that a scheme-based offense? I think that's a scheme-based offense. I think they do a pretty good job of kind of, you know, to- towing both there. And I think reflecting that offense with our season 2017, I feel like we were so much more matchup based and we've kind of bled a little bit more into being scheme based and having to get guys open. Now that you have some waddles, and some Jalen Riegers in the offense. I think they're going to lean a little bit more back to the matchup-based offense. Kind of, I think Andy Reid's a little bit more of a matchup-based offense, in my opinion. Finding and isolating matchups with these weapons, but you have your hundred million-dollar quarterback, surround them with weapons, and find those matchups, and let's get this track team deployed.
1: So that's so that's I guess where the the difference in my my definition of in terms of like scheme based versus matchup base is like in my opinion or in my mind like matchup base is like all right like we're gonna line up and we're gonna do our thing and we're just gonna let our guys win yeah like, scheme's, we're gonna find not the the, scheme's
2: not the right word for it yeah, I was like just, I was really just kind of going through that thought as I was uh, talking there
1: but I think of like Andy you know, Andy's offense as like all right like. We are going to scheme things up on a weekly basis to find, like, create opportunities for our guys. Like, and that's kind of, scheming
2: matchups. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Right. Scheming matchups. And that's kind of how I view, uh you know, what, you know looking at the Chiefs when they're operating. But I, I think you look at Waddle, if he's there, like, if he fell to 19, like, regardless, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, finding Marquise Goodwin, whoever the fastest guy is in the building. If it's Adrian, if Adrian Killens is here, like, so, all right, let's send Adrian Killens down, uh, you know, run, run that card
2: in. Uh, for I'm sure. almost I think- thinking if he's sitting there at like 17 or 18, you go trade right. up and go get him. If he's sitting there, pick or two ahead.
1: Yeah, that would be a, certainly a fun combination. You you throw Jalen Waddle in there with Jalen Rager and with uh, and with uh, with Travis Fulgham. That would be a, a fun group for sure. Uh, moving into 2021. All right, let's go under the hood here, Ben, uh, and spend some time talking about three factors at a position uh, that we want to talk about this week. And I thought, you know what? Let's talk about not just the cornerback position because I think, like you know, obviously, look, we we group all of our corners into one little bucket. But obviously, we know that that's not the case, right? Because you know that with all the different corners that are playing all around the NFL, there are different skill sets and different teams are looking for different things. And not only that, but every team's got inside corners, outside corners. Let's talk about the press man corner. Because I think, obviously, look, every team is going to be playing press, but for the most part, every team is going to be utilizing their guys in some kind of press man at some point. But some teams play a lot more press than others. Some teams play a lot more man than others. So, uh, you know, for when you're looking for a press man corner and teams that utilize those uh, those kinds of players, what is it that you're looking for? What's the number one trait that you look at when you're looking at a pure press man corner?
2: So I think it's going to be some combination, and you could slice this up in a pie chart, of size, length, and speed. And you can kind of move the pie charts and the slices around as you need to because more size and more length can make up for that lack of speed. Or maybe, you know, having the ability to turn and run and and, you're just having an elite speed and you can't turn and run or you have poor stiff hips. You know, you have to have a good combination of all those traits from the size, the length, the speed combos. And if you have more than one in another area, it can make up for that deficiency.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good place uh, certainly to start. And I think when you look at, uh, to me, like the number one thing I'm looking for in that role is ball skills, right? I mean, to me, like that's the calling card of a good corner is the ability to turn and find the ball in the air. And I think when you're dealing with press man corners, right, that's where you're in that position where, guess what? At some point, you're going to get beat. You're going to be out of phase. So that means that if you are out of phase, you are in catch-up mode, right? You are back to the quarterback trying to find the receiver down the field. Now, once you get back into position, can you turn and find the ball late and be able to you know find the ball you know find the football and make a play on it? So to me, uh, ball skills very very important for a press man corner. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and the Eagles were preparing to play the Baltimore Ravens. We did our scouting report on Marlon Humphrey. That was over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So what was the big question with Marlon Humphrey? This guy was big. He was physical. He was as competitive as any corner. He had great speed. He ran four three at six two whatever. He had really he had a lot of trouble finding the football. So in a press man scheme, that could come back to bite him. We watch Baltimore now. How is he used? He's playing a ton of off coverage, and he's playing a lot from the slot. So he's not put in a position where trying to find the ball late downfield is going to be a consistent issue for him. And I think that's a great way of kind of framing that and say, all right, well, look, if he can't do that, let's not put him in a position to do that. However, if you're looking for a pure press man corner on the outside, ball skills, to me, a premium.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my second one is you're going to be a very, you know, broad term. You want this among all players. A lot of these things you're going to obviously want through of all course. players. You want, you know, toughness and FBI and things like that. But balance, I think, is so mm. important for a defensive backs. It's such a reactive, reactionary position. You're moving laterally. You're moving backwards. Sometimes you're moving sideways, you know, in a side saddle. You have to turn and run and commit speed vertically. You have to click and close and change directions. All of those kind of mirroring because you're chasing a rabbit out there. You don't decide where you go. You have to mirror the movements of another human being. So just being reactionary and reactive, you have to have good balance in your movement patterns and the ability to change directions, front, back, side to side, turning and running. All that I think it kind of encompasses having good balance as a defensive back.
1: No question. I think that's a great one. I'm glad you brought that up. We don't really talk about balance too often when it comes to uh, you know players in general, but I think when you look at two positions, defensive back and offensive line, balance are is extremely extremely important. We talk about it with running back slot playing through contact, but I think with both of those positions where you are playing in reverse, that balance and body control is so so important. Let's get to my next one here, and to me. This one is, is one that has really kind of grown in importance for me uh, throughout. And it's, it's kind of t- like the, my umbrella statement, I guess, or my umbrella term for it, I guess, would be man coverage instincts. The thing that you, I often see, and it, this is what it is, is when is well, let's just imagine you're a press man corner. Again, receiver kind of get, he gets his release, whether it's inside, outside. When you watch him at the top of the break, okay, so the, the, the corner's got eyes on the receiver, are they able to run the route in lockstep with the receiver? right? Do they have an understanding? Hey, if he releases outside, knowing the down and distance, this is the this is the this is the route tree, right? He's either going to if he's running outside, if he gets an outside release, this is going to be a fade. It's going to be a back shoulder, or it's going to be a comeback, right? Having an understanding of the, these are the different routes that can be run, and this is how I'm going to react to it. Predicting what's going to be ha- going to happen, being proactive, but rather than reactive, the guys that are re- able to stay in lockstep. I always talk about uh, a guy being able to hip pocket a receiver. That's what I'm talking about: is being able to stay step for step with that guy, not just down the field on fades, but on, you know, there's, uh, there's one break routes, you know, if he's able to st- stay with him on a slant, if he's able to stay with them, on, especially on a comeback, that's always a-, a great visual. As you can see, a guy break at the same instant that the receiver is. If you see a guy that's just l- that locked into the receiver, now uh, that to me has give- gives me a lot of confidence that he's got that ability to be able to play man-to-man coverage at a high level.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that goes right into my third instincts as well because you have to you have to understand how offenses are trying to attack defenses and I love going through the mental makeup of corners on a down to down basis and all the different checklists as the play is going on from right at the line of scrimmage reading run quick green, quick game screen game then the quick game routes slant speed outs and you're going through this constant roll of decks as you're going through your coverage in the down and in the depths on the field on what can be attacked as you're approaching the five to seven yard range, you know, a curl might become in a square out, a break in, you know, or a hitch route. As you're then going further down the field, you open up another threat of routes and understanding where each of those landmarks can happen, understanding the timing of break points and just route combinations and how offensive pass games want to attack coverages. Put you a step ahead in covering and getting your assignment done. And part of that is film study. And a lot of that's just instincts. And I think instincts kind of get packaged together like it's some God-given tool you're born with and you either have a savvy to cover NFL receivers or you don't. Now, it's kind of a combination of your football intelligence, your film study, carrying that out to the field, on the practice field, on the game days, taking the information from your coaches on the sideline. I don't like to just kind of say instincts are some tool yeah. you either have or you don't have kind of thing. I think it's kind of a polished tool and a a skill set that you can constantly improve on but it's taking a lot of that knowledge and history and experience onto the field.
1: I think that's a, it's a great way to put it. And for me, my third one is something you talked about earlier. It's just a combination of both long speed and quickness, because uh, I think a lot of people say, oh, he's a press man corner. Look, he's big, he's long, he's physical up at the line of scrimmage, and that's it. Uh, you know, I think that we, we had this conversation a lot in regards to Rizul Douglas when he was here in Philadelphia. It was like, oh, well, why isn't he playing up the line of scrimmage more? You know, fans, would, fans and media would ask, why isn't he not playing up you know, more press, more press, more press? You can't just be big and physical up at the line of scrimmage because, as I alluded to a couple times here already, you're going to get beat, right? So you need that speed. You need that quickness to be able to recover and get yourself back in position to make plays. If you are big and slow, you are not able to recover if you're beat at the line of scrimmage. So you need that that speed. You need that quickness. So that's why, you know, typically if we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, what does the guy look like as, as a press man corner? This is where you're looking at the height, weight, speed, right? I mean, that's where if you're going to play press man corner, uh, that becomes more of an issue. You know, it was the first thing that you brought up, and it's for that reason. So to me, uh, I don't need to spend more too much more time on it. Well, Fran, spend 20 seconds, sure. and
2: why don't you put a 6'4", 230-pound player at corner? If he just because- big and you see oh, Tyreek Hill out there, let me just put a big guy out there and beat him up on the line of Scrimmage. Playing press is so much about looseness in your hips and your lower body flexibility. So many people think it's about being big and physical. But we hear it all the time from our defensive back coaches where do you press? With your feet first, then your hips, then your hands. It's a process and kind of a maturation to it.
1: I was just, I was literally just going to say, you don't win as a press corner because of your hands or your length. You win because of your feet. So I was glad that you uh, brought that up. Let's get to the next step of this conversation and just talk about what is it that separates the elite. From the good players at the spot in your mind,
2: this is a tough one. This is the proverbial Seinfeld on the bench at the shore, contemplating life. You know whether he should keep the voice <laughs> or you know go back to the girlfriend. Because you know what separates the elite from the good, I think, is a confidence. But what makes players? Yeah. What makes players confident? It's not just a a swagger or you know that that type of confidence and you know the the I'm better than you. I think the confidence is due to their you know, your perceived lack of weaknesses. And that allows you to play calm and allows you to play freely, knowing I don't have bad feet. I don't have bad hands. I know I'm fast. You're never in a panic position. And, you know, in a weird way, that confidence. And I like the big nasty cornerbacks, Fran. I like Jalen Ramsey. I like Marlon Humphrey. But you don't need to be nasty to be good. Yep. Was Daryl Rivas nasty or Patrick Peterson or even like Deion Sanders? And now we've seen him fight Andre Ryzen and stuff like that but I don't think anyone's saying Deion Sanders is a nasty corner it's a finesse corner with really good speed and instincts and ball skills but what do all those guys have confidence and I think it's because they're so well-rounded they don't have any you know deficiencies or weaknesses in their game that allows them to play so freely and so aggressively I think because they trust themselves
1: I love that. And to me, like that, that's that was where I and that was deep too. Well. That was
2: some like Dr. Oz, like, you know, yeah, they really in, like this. the mental makeup of the position.
1: Well, that's what I'm like looking. I'm like, all right, like who are the best press man corners just in the last like few years, right? So you think of like Jalen Ramsey and Patrick Peterson, Darius Slay, uh, Marshawn Lattimore has shown flashes of that. You mentioned Darrell Rivas, That confidence and competitiveness, it absolutely is part and part of it, everything you just said. And then the other part of it is just the the embracing the role as the number one guy, as that shutdown corner, hey, put me on this guy and he's done for the rest of the game, right? Put right. me on uh, the opposing number one receiver. Embracing that role, that's a big part of it. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that's for sure was the, the trait that I that pulled as well. That was a uh, tough
2: one for me because initially I wrote down toughness. Yep. And then I was talking to my buddy. He's like, well, you know, Darryl Green wasn't that tough. Derevis wasn't that tough. That was some of the best press corners in the history of the NFL. And it's like, you know, it's not about just being tough. I love the tough guys. I love Ramsey. I love seeing him come up in a two-handed jam and not letting a guy off the line of scrimmage or coming up in run support or the way Marlon Humphrey plays but you don't have to be like that to be an elite cover corner, a elite, yep. elite press corner. So right. I think it's fun to go through the different type of makeups of this position.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Which Let's alludes go.
2: perfectly into the draft because exactly there's right. a bunch of bunch of different types of players that can do this.
1: So who are the guys that we're looking at as like the press man corners? Because to me, it's like the two big ones, I think Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farley no both question. fit that fit that to a T, right? I mean, you're talking all the traits that we've d- discussed already. I feel both of, that, both of those guys bring it. The other guy that to me is really intriguing and I have not done it yet, but I'm going off of your evaluation of what Dane and others have said. DK Kendrick from Clemson kind of intrigues me, right? Because you're talking about uh, the speed and quickness and size. That's the the thing that I talked about was my third thing. Now it's all right. Can he find the ball downfield? Can he play with those man coverage instincts and, and be able to, you know, hit pocket and stay in lockstep with the receiver? I want to be able to see that when I'm watching him, but uh, when you're talking about the, the height, weight, speed, as I mentioned earlier, that's the guy that kind of catches my eye. Like, all right, like there, there's something there.
2: You know, that's interesting because I've kind of uh, come off the of DK Kendrick being a press corner into, I think, I think he's a kind of a cover three bail guy. Interesting. And okay, That's what I want Tyson Campbell at Georgia to be as well. Right Side saddle, play through the quarterback in the pocket, keep your eyes back there. Seem to be guys that are just a little, DK's a little clunky with his technique and press. Tyson, a little struggle to find the ball down the field, but I'll throw two other names. Seems like J.C. Horn is a great press corner and a perfect kind of height, weight, speed package. Another guy that never panics with the ball in the air. Very competitive. And a guy I don't think enough people are talking about. It's gotten a little steam over the last two weeks with his senior bowl invite. That's Ambry Thomas. And nobody plays more press yes. coverage in the country than yep. Don Brown. These guys are NFL ready. I don't know if he's a first round pick, but I see him somewhere in that round three or four conversation with a really good athletic profile, loose hips. I don't think he's a Blazer, I don't think he's a 4 4 guy, but I think he wins with his technique, his loose hips, his ability to play the ball down the field. And again, the FBI, the instincts, the competitiveness, the confidence. You just see a guy out there, former receivers as well. D.K. Kendrick, former receiver. Amber Thomas, former receiver. Guys that don't panic when that ball is in the yep. air. Natural ability to track the ball knowing where to find it, knowing where your eyes should go immediately to find those deep vertical passes. Amber Thomas is a guy I think will gain more steam as we get into the process.
1: That's a great call. Certainly a name to keep in mind, keep earmarked there for that role. Ben, this was fun, man. Uh, We'll be back here next week, talking about everything we discussed here in terms of projecting for this weekend. Thanks for joining us once again here on the journey, the draft podcast driven by triple A.
0: It's time for Mr. Relevant.
1: All right, we're really excited to welcome in this week to Mr. Relevant, uh, a guy that I've known for a few years now. He does a great job covering college football in the NFL draft for Roto World and NBC Sports. That man is Thor Nystrom. Thor, really appreciate you joining us, man. Fran, it's awesome to be here. Uh, It's not uh, every day that I get one of the Avengers to come on the show. I mean, I I can't wait uh, to get into talking to some of these guys. For those of you who don't, make sure you go follow Thor on Twitter, at ThorKU, if if only just for the Thor gifs that you uh, post on a very consistent basis. (laughs)
3: Absolutely. And I I feel like we're going to drop the hammer
1: on a couple of these prospects here in a little bit. (laughs) Well, real quick, before we start talking about prospects, uh, talk about your role with Roto World and with NBC Sports and how you got to where you are now.
3: Yeah, it was kind of a, an interesting path I took there. Um, you know, I, I went to Kansas for undergrad, and coming out, I got an internship with MLB.com. So I actually started as a baseball writer. Um, I did that, and then when I came out, the, the journalism industry was tanking. So I actually applied for grad school and got into Iowa. But I was fortunate enough that I, I also got a job at Roto-World at just about the same time as a part-timer uh, baseball writer. And so I did that at the same time as grad school. I taught in China for a year and actually kept doing Roto World wow. at the same time. Yeah, the the worst Fran, I'll tell you this: the worst uh, shift that Roto World is the West Coast baseball games. It's the shift that nobody wants to do. <laughs> uh, you don't get off basically until two a.m. or whatever. But it is the absolute perfect shift to work when you're living in China.
1: That makes sense. The clock, yeah.
3: the clock flipped. So so I'd work. You know, I do teach. I teach in the morning, and then I'd come back and I'd watch. You know, the games you know, at, you know, whatever, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And then at noon or so, they'd be getting done. So I'd write those up. So I taught in China for a year and then I came back. And shortly after that, NBC asked if I wanted to switch to college football in the NFL draft. That had always been my passion. I mean, you got I mean, you know, from looking at my my Twitter and stuff like that, I, you know, I've been obsessed with the game NCA football forever. I've been obsessed with the NFL draft forever. I was the kid who was printing off like, you know, the the seven rounds of results right after the draft got done, ever since I was like, you know, eight years old. The the kid who was writing mock drafts in class when I should have been listening to Civics. So I mean, like when they asked me that that it was an absolute no-brainer. So we've been doing this for about uh, seven, eight years or whatever, ever since I got back.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you, know, you do great stuff with them, and I can totally relate uh, to your experiences as a kid in terms of uh, printing out mock drafts and uh, you know printing out draft results and trying to figure out who was going to go where. So you are based uh, in the Minnesota area, in the Minneapolis area. And so the, the first group of guys I wanted to ask you about was a pair of players with Minnesota ties. And two of those guys are obviously Gophers wide receiver Rashad Bateman, who is an absolute stud, and then North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance, who is from western part of the western part of the state in Minnesota. Now, the big thing, too, for those of you who do follow your content, uh, you are big into kind of like you know, projecting into the future. You do a lot of gambling-related content. So my question regarding these two players, Rashad Bateman and Trey Lance, you're buying future stock on these two guys who are you putting the most uh, cash behind in terms of you trying to project who's going to have the most success in the NFL? Who's most likely to reach their ceiling between those two guys?
3: You're really putting me on the hot seat here, Frank, (laughs) because this is like choosing between my two sons. Um, You know, obviously, like you're mentioning, Lance is from Marshall, Minnesota, and Bateman's a native son of Georgia, but uh, certainly in Minneapolis here where, where I live, we have adopted him as our native son. So this is a tough one for me, but, if I had to pick one of them, I think I got to go with Bateman um, just because the, the bus profile on Lance is, you know, it, when you're comparing the two, it, it, it's just so much higher. I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, as far as Bateman goes, I, I just think he's a surefire uh, prospect, surefire first rounder, certainly. And I think he's going to be an absolute stud in the NFL. Talk about prospect. This kid had a 20, over 25% market share on Minnesota as a true freshman yeah. when Minnesota had Tyler Johnson at the time. That's absolutely incredible. You don't see true freshmen come into Power Five teams where they have an NFL receiver post over a 25% market share. He's an incredible route runner, so difficult uh, to stay with. His feet are so smooth and coordinated for a 6'2", 210 outside guy. Breaks are violent, his releases are varied. Um, he's just natural at gaining separation. He gets a little nitpicked, I think, because he's not a 4-3 guy. Some people say he's got, you know, a little bit of stiffness in the hips. We, you know, we got to nitpick all these kids, obviously. But Bateman's going to run in the four fours. 4s I, I would be surprised if he's a 4-5 guy. He's got incredible hands. I, I mean, he could have a highlight reel of one hand it catches. He makes them look absolutely easy. Um, awesome in contested situations. You can take a look at his PFF stats or his film, either way. Um, he's also really gifted after the catch. Um, good vision yep. runs with power. He broke 17 tackles on 60 catches last year, just for some context. For instance, Jerry Judy at 15 on 77 last year. Um, I, I think he's going to be a star X receiver at the next level. So, so that's my take on him As as far as Lance goes, He's just a fascinating evaluation. I, I really like the ceiling. I, I don't know anyone that could look at Lance's ceiling and argue with it or, or not like it. But you talk about a redshirt quarterback coming from the FCS. Fran, let's talk about the redshirt, quarter, redshirt sophomore quarterbacks who have declared period, yeah. uh, going back like a decade or so. Dwayne Haskins, uh, Sam Darnold, Deshaun Kaiser, Jameis Winston, uh, Johnny Manziel, uh, Adrian McPherson, Josh Booty, and we do have one success story, Mr. Michael Vick, uh, you know, to, to an extent, obviously, Lance, you know, you, you compare him to some of those guys. He is less seasoned than basically, I mean, almost all of those guys. Yeah. He's coming from the FCS and he only played one game in his sophomore year, only 17 career starts at the FCS level. This is an unprecedented lack of seasoning for a first round NFL uh, draft type quarterback. He threw for less than 3000 career yards in the fcs but obviously you know that's that's the one side of it you look at the other side 30 to 1 career td int ratio you don't see that coming into the nfl obviously for you know a, a prospect or whatever and he led his team to an undefeated season and a title and his only season starting um he has a fascinating uh, uh you know skill set and everything like that and for a creative staff and everything like that someone that that's going to invest in him Um, You know, the ceiling is extremely high, but the bus profile is just would be too high for me in an apples to apples comparison Mm -hmm. against a guy like Bateman, I think.
1: How do you feel about a Allen Robinson comp for uh, Rashad Bateman? That's the one that I kind of settled in on is like a big receiver, right? I mean, he's a big-body kid who is just so smooth and so crisp and so defined as a route runner. And with his release package, he's good at the catch point. He's sneaky good after the catch as well. I look at Bateman, I'm like, yeah, there aren't a lot of guys that have that kind of profile. People don't think of Allen Robinson as a big receiver until you see him on the field. You're like, oh, yeah, crap. Like, this guy's six foot two. I think you look at Bateman, and he's got a very similar kind of profile. I like that
3: a lot, Fran. Yeah. And, you know, another, you know, in addition to what you just said, another thing I like about that is some people when they do comps, as you know, they they sort of lean towards just going ceiling and and sort of doing pie in the sky type comps I think Bateman could potentially be better than Robinson be a bit better than Robinson but I think Robinson is a really nice comp for for Bateman because you can easily see that in your mind him him becoming uh, Robinson I, I think that there's a high probability that he at least becomes a player like that you know and I, I think that that's a great comparison they share a lot of similar qualities mm. and you know we talked about the nitpicking a little bit before you mentioned it you know Robinson he continues to fly under the radar for the type of player he is in the NFL uh, bateman might have a career like that as well where he, he's underappreciated but hell of a player nonetheless
1: so let's get into uh, some questions that i ask everybody that comes on the show and you know we're a couple months now into college football we're a couple weeks into november who's a player that uh, over the first half of the year really kind of caught your eye and was like man like i need to start working on this guy or i need to do more work on him uh before the season comes to a close
3: OK, so I'm going to I'm going to bring up someone that you probably talked about quite a bit already, but um, I haven't gotten to talk about him on a pod yet. And okay. this guy just really gets my juices going. So I just have to bring him up. And that's Zach Wilson. Nice. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, and one thing I want to talk about him is, you know, some people I think get, you know, when you see quarterback prospects sort of shoot up this quickly, I think some people have a natural inclination to be. A little bit suspicious of players like that, particularly when they're coming either from the the G5 or, you know, in, in Wilson's case from a, you know, BYU is not, you know, technically G5, but they're not Notre Dame of the independents either. Right. But I want people to keep in mind that his sophomore year, he was coming off surgery to repair a torn labrum. He also had a right hand injury that required surgery. So, I mean, he had an 11-to-9 TDI and T-ratio as a sophomore, but there was a lot of issues with that right arm. And we see now that that it's healthy. He has a special right arm. He leads the nation in passing right now, 21-to-2 TDI and T-ratio. He's got an absolute gun. I mean, we see him throw 50-plus yards on a line with velocity and accuracy every single game. He has complete confidence in in that arm. And it opens up, like, those insanely creative throw opportunities that you see, like, from Mahomes and, and Murray, et cetera, um, he generally puts receivers in awesome yak, yak opportunities as well by leading them, throws receivers open, goes through his progressions, and he's athletic for a size at 6'3, 215, shows good functional mobility. Um, I, I think he'd be a fit on a lot of different teams. He, he's not a player, um, you know, for instance, like Lance. I, I think Lance is more perhaps scheme specific, perhaps even coaching staff specific. Right. I don't think Wilson, you would have to pigeonhole him as much. Um, just because of sort of those prototypical type traits. I, I don't know what your take is on that, brand, but that's my, dude, my read right now.
1: Dude, I 1,000% agree with everything you just said. I, from the scheme-specific stuff, 100%, and then looking at the just his skill set. I mean, from the time I first watched him a few weeks ago on film, because you, you you see the stats and you see, uh, you know, I'd stayed up, I'd watch a little bit of BYU here and there, but I wasn't like fully intent on studying Wilson. And then I watched the tape. And you just, I was just blown away by the consistent accuracy and ball placement at all levels of the field. And we're talking not just like, oh, yeah, shallow crosses and slant routes and screen game. We're talking opposite hash throws, drive throws to the intermediate area, layered throws over the linebackers and under the safety, vertical shot plays. I mean, all across all aspects of the field, this guy is consistently accurate. And uh, look – for all, because he's got some mechanical things that are really bad in like the lower half. It's just a little wonky. It's a, it's, there's a lot of things he's going to have to clean up there. But if there's one thing I learned from missing on Patrick Mahomes, it was the consistent accuracy despite constantly being off-platform. And some of that being self-inflicted, that was the case with Mahomes. It's the case with Wilson. The, the idea that he is still consistently accurate, it does not throw off his ball placement. It does not throw off his velocity to a certain extent. That, to me, is most impressive, and that's why I've got so much faith in his ability to translate uh, to the NFL. We had Chad Ryder on, I believe it was last week, and he talked about uh, you know making the comparison to Aaron Rodgers because Chad's been in the game for forever, mm. and, you know, and making that same kind of comparison. I did, uh, Wilson blows me away. I'm really, really impressed uh, with what that kid has been able to do. All right, so that being said, Last two questions I've got for you. Players that you're higher on than everybody else. You know, you know, I know. I obviously, a lot has been yet to, to be determined here with how people ultimately feel about prospects. But from what you've seen, from what you've heard, uh, other people talking about certain players, who's a guy on offense that you just feel, you know, I'm higher on this guy than the consensus right now?
3: Yeah, Fran, I don't know how much you watch at Virginia Tech this year, but I love Christian Derrissaw, their left tackle. The Hokies have an absolute mauling offensive line. And uh, as a Kansas grad and a Kansas football fan, it's hilarious to me because Kansas had a backup running back named Khalil Herbert, who was stuck behind Puka Williams the last couple of years, barely got on the field. He transfers to Virginia Tech. And now all of a sudden, Khalil Herbert's one of the best running backs in the, the nation, you know, air quotes, because he's running behind this just ludicrous offensive line. And that starts with Derrissaw. He's a 6'5", 315 junior. Severely overlooked recruit who had to start at prep school. But he became the first true freshman to start at left tackle for Virginia Tech since 2013. He has that rare combination of athleticism, flexibility, and strength that you're looking for at left tackle. He's a mauler with awesome awareness. You'll You'll see plays where he's blocking one dude and then he'll slough off to the next level, the second level. Pick off a linebacker as well. I love the patience and balance he shows in pass protection, and I love how quickly he's improving. You know, he's he's one of those – you see the progression from year to year to year, and it's one of those things where, you know, when we talk about projection, well, when you see a guy who – You know, in his his senior year of high school, no one was talking about him. And then in his prep year, now all of a sudden everybody wants him. His freshman year, he's the best freshman left tackle in college football. His sophomore year, he's a quasi All-American. And now he's, you know, arguably the best left tackle in college football because Penny Sewell is sitting out. I mean, you talk about an insane developmental progression. Um, You have to project a high ceiling. You have to project that that's going to keep going, especially because the athletic tools are there. For me, he's an absolute no-doubt no doubt 1st round this year mm. for me it's just a question of how high he's gonna go
1: yeah we've talked about him a little bit here on the show uh dane Bruegler, ben fennel they're, they're both big fans uh, of what this kid has been able to put on film and i think when you look at him the thing that most attracts me to christian Darashaw consistent power we talk about consistent ball placement with Zach Wilson I mean this guy consistently moves people against their will uh he's strong in, in terms of uh, his anchor and pass pro but his power to naturally displace defenders rep after rep after rep that's going to be a very attractive trait uh for a lot of teams in today's NFL all right same question to you defensive side who's a guy that you're higher on on defense okay so
3: I I I watched uh, uh South Carolina against Auburn and I would say J.C. Horn after I saw what he did to South Carolina but or to to Seth Williams but I know a lot of people know that name so I want to go just a little bit deeper I've watched a lot of West Virginia this year because I'm a big big 12 guy Um, these guys are a bit uh, both these guys are tweeners a little bit, but I've been extremely impressed with both of them watching them. Darius Stills and Tony Fields. Um, they, they, they're they not first-round prospects. They might not even be day-two prospects, but I think these are guys that can stick around in the NFL. Um, Stills is a little undersized. He's 6'1", 285, but extremely quick and very active. He has 18.5 tackles for loss and 9.5 and sacks in the 18 games since the start of last year. He's just all over the place. He's always caving in uh, the interior offensive line. And then fields is a tackle machine he's he's just a little banshee he's 6'1 220 transfer from arizona he's all over the field whenever you watch arizona he is always around the ball always taking down the the ball same thing at arizona when you watch that tape this year fields has 65 tackles the next highest guy in west virginia has 47 fields also has three tackles for loss a sack an interception and two breakups so i i just really like tony fields as a football player stills as well
1: Yeah, I mean, both guys. Uh, Ben has talked a lot about Darius Stills uh, here on the show, and he's a guy that certainly has caught a lot of people's eyes. I know Jim Nagy was tweeting about Tony Fields back in the summer when Fields was still at Arizona as one of the more urgent players at the position in this draft class. So I'm excited to really get eyes on both. I have not studied either player, but uh, a lot of people have talked about both players. I'm glad you brought both up. West Virginia, big matchup this week in the Big 12 against TCU. They've got players uh, on both sides as well. Thor, dude, this has been great. Really, really appreciate you uh, gracing us with your presence. Anytime we get royalty from, uh, you know, from Nasgard to join us here on the show, (laughs) uh, we've got to take it. Thor, thanks so much, man.
3: Absolute pleasure, friend. I'll come back anytime. Thanks, man.
0: Now it's time for Pick 6.
1: Well, back for another week here of Pick 6 is my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, welcome back, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be back. Although I'm always a little nervous every week when you kind
1: of (laughs) give give the standings. So you actually uh, picked up a couple games on me this week. We were, we were separate almost every single game last week. So uh, you picked up a couple. I still have a three game lead. We split our pick'ems last week. I took Florida over Georgia. You took Notre Dame over Clemson. You needed a couple overtimes to get that win, but you did get it. Um, The over-unders, uh, that's where you got me. You took the, uh, the under on Hamilcar uh sacks against Washington State. You came out there. Uh, you took uh, the USC receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's Their total catches over USC's margin of victory. You got the win there. And we both hit our upset special last week with uh, Liberty getting the last second win over Virginia Tech. So uh, it was a fun week to break down. We've got uh, six more matchups to discuss here. And as I said earlier, Hopefully, as we're recording this, uh, around lunchtime on Wednesday, all the games that we discuss uh, will actually be played. We've had a couple games over the ca- last few weeks uh, get canceled due to COVID-19. Um, but let's get into some of these matchups here. We'll start in the Big Ten. A big one here, Wisconsin against Michigan. Who do you like straight up in this one, Ross?
0: You know, i have going back and forth on this. Uh, I think Wisconsin's the better team. i got to be honest with you, though, Fran, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday. I don't even know who's available for them necessarily. And I just think Michigan, after back-to-back losses, I think they're going to play better. I think Wisconsin, you know, limited practice time, probably going to end up regretting this, Fran, but I'm going to go Michigan. I don't think they're going to lose three in a row, and I just think there's
1: a tough spot for Wisconsin. I went back and forth on this too, man, and it it feels like over the last few years when Michigan is like, it looks like they're about to bottom out, that's when they turn it around, and I feel I agree with you. it, It feels unlikely that they'll have a three-game losing streak. But I look at the way that they're playing right now, you know, offensively and defensively, and I'm like, that's the kind of brand of football that Wisconsin wants to play. And if they're able to play, if Mertz is able to go, if they're able to kind of get going here, I'm going to go with the Badgers here. We'll go separate here on the opening one. I'll take Wisconsin. Again, I went back and forth on this one. I think that'll be a fun game to kind of watch. Let's get to the next one here. Miami versus Virginia Tech. we talked about both these teams a lot over the course of the last few years, but or the last few weeks. This one's a fun one, though. i interested to kind of get your thoughts. Who do you like here, Miami or the Hokies?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go Miami. I, I thought De'Eric King played extremely well against NC State Friday night. That was a fun game to watch. It's funny, um, Emory Hunt and I were talking about this on the College Draft Podcast. He reminds me, Fran, tell me if you think this is accurate. He reminds me of kind of a poor man's Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. They are uh, same height. Derrick King is lightning fast. I don't know if he's quite as quick as Kyler Murray. He's not as consistent of a thrower, but he does have a strong arm. I call him a poor man's Kyler Murray. And I think Virginia Tech is reeling after that loss to Liberty. That was a bad loss. I don't know, you know, that ruins some of their goals for this year. I think Miami. I think Miami had an extra day, extra day of rest. They're feeling good about the comeback against NC State. I like Miami in this one.
1: I like Miami, too, and I like them in a little bit of a shootout here. You know, I know Khalil Herbert has been banged up over the last couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, how do they bounce back after that disappointing loss? And, uh, you know, just obviously a really tough way to lose there uh, to Liberty. But I I like Miami in a shootout. As far as the King thing, you know, I think with De'Ara King – The question with him is going to be his consistency throwing the football because I agree, you know, athletically, yeah, he's Kyler Murray. I mean, he is a dynamic presence with the ball in his hands. It's just a matter of his overall consistency. I don't think he's got the arm talent that uh, that Murray does, both from a arm strength standpoint, but also from an accuracy standpoint. He was a really scattershot player from when I watched him uh, with the University of Houston. I think some of that has certainly carried over to this offense as well, but uh, look, you can't argue with the production. I mean, he threw for 430 and five touchdowns last week against NC State. He ran for another 100, so I think when you look at what he can be as a two-way player, he's certainly one of the more dynamic playmakers in the country, but I agree with you. I, I like the. Hurricanes here in this matchup. So we'll go uh, on the same side there for game number two. Game number three, let's go out west here. Another pick three here this week. Stanford 0-1 going up against Colorado. Had a nice win there uh, in the opening week of the Pac-12. Who do you like here, Stanford or Colorado?
0: So I'm going Stanford. Um, I thought they were able to hang tough with Oregon for a while. And I think Colorado, that was an entertaining game against UCLA, high scoring. I'm going a little law of averages here, Frank. You know what I mean? Like, I say this in the NFL a lot. I don't really think Stanford's an 0-2 team. I don't think Colorado's a 2-0 team. They seem pretty comparable to me. I think Stanford gets it done late, close game, lower scoring than what Colorado played against UCLA. I'll take Stanford for both these teams to end Week 2 at 1-1. and
1: I like it. I'm actually going the same way, man. I I feel, uh, you know, you look at Stanford, you know, they're missing Davis Mills, the quarterback last week. He was on the COVID list. You know, will he be uh, available for this game? That's at this point, again, lunchtime Wednesday uh, up in the air. We don't know if the talented quarterback for Stanford is going to be playing yet. But I I look at Stanford and I say, I I just feel like they can turn this thing around, uh, come back with a win here this week. So I will go with you on the same side. Let's go to uh, game number four here. We're going to go Notre Dame, who obviously had the huge win uh, this past week against Clemson going up against the team that gave Clemson trouble the week before in the B.C. Eagles. Let's look at Notre Dame pass rusher Dalen Hayes. Zero and a half sacks. I'm going to set the over-under. Do you feel like he gets a sack in this game against Boston College? Over-under, 0.5. I do think he
0: gets one. Um, I think it'll be a competitive game. Hmm. Um, I think it'll go back and forth. You know, I, watching Boston College against Clemson, um phil jerkovic he he got smashed sometimes in that game man i mean he he holds on to a little bit he's athletic so he thinks he can make plays i know him i saw him play high school basketball and high school football um i think dalen hayes gets one just because jerkovic feels like he can move around and make plays He's got a little bit of that in him and that gives dalen hayes enough time to get home for one
1: Dalen Hayes, he's had three sacks in the last two weeks. And the one last week, I believe, was was late in the game. Um, but I think you look at this kid. He, he looks the part coming off the edge. Ben Fennell's talked about him over the course of the, the last couple of weeks. He, he has been impressive uh, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, I will take the over as well. I was gonna—I was seeing if I could sell you into the, you know, oh, it's hard to get sacks. So I'm going to say I'm going to take the under here. Uh, but we will both take the over uh, with zero and a half sacks there for Dalen Hayes. Let's go bigger number. This was an interesting one. I, I haven't done one like this one quite yet. I talked earlier this week on the show about Tulsa linebacker Zaven Collins. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 6'3", 6'4", 260 pounds, runs like a deer. I mean, he is a sideline-to-sideline side player, fastest player on the field whenever Tulsa uh, is out there for a 260-pounder. Really, really impressive athlete. Impact plays. So I'm going to call them impact plays. We're going to call it sacks, interceptions, tackles for loss, and then either force fumbles or fumble recovery. So you take all of those, you stack them into one pile. What's higher, that number or Tulsa's margin of victory over the SMU Mustangs? What do you like here, Ross?
0: Um, I like the splash plays. And ah, I, nice. I that, and I said this last time because I think there's a chance SMU wins the game. Yep. So I'm I'm not going to go with Tulsa's margin of victory because I think there's a chance SMU wins the game and so if you go Tulsa's margin of victory, you necessarily lose. So I'm, I'm kind of playing the odds here a little bit. And even if they win, I think it probably is a close game. And I think he does make, you know, three or four big-time plays. So I will go – um, his splash plays, difference-making plays.
1: So I was going to go there as well, man. But I, I'll tell you what, just to go different, I will go Tulsa. And Tulsa has been a little bit of a hot team over the last couple of weeks. SMU starting to get banged up. You know, Reggie Robertson, we know, uh, out for the year. They they lost their starting running back. Ulysses Bentley's an explosive player, but I think you look at this Tulsa Green Wave. Uh, I will take, uh, or not the Green Wave, but the uh, the Golden Eagles rather. I will take Tulsa here uh, to come up with, uh, with the W and by a, a little bit of a wider margin. Uh, than maybe we're expecting, so I'll take Tulsa here on that one. Let's wrap things up here with our upset special. One upset, Ross. Uh, who do you like here this week?
0: So I I went through all of these, Fran. I love this. I love I love picking the upset. I we've gotten them a couple of times. We have also yes. Gotten close a couple other times as well. I'm gonna go Boston College. I'm I going to say that history repeats itself from '93 when. Notre Dame beat number one Florida State, Charlie Ward. And I think it was the next week, maybe two weeks later, they lost to Tom Coughlin and Boston College. I remember that vividly. I was 14 years old. I think history repeats itself. I think what happens is is Boston College, they've played pretty well, they have been pretty tough. You know, you've got the revenge game for Djurkovic, who, uh, and I always forget how to say his last name, Djurkovic, and I've called a couple of his games, and I forget how you (laughs) say it. I think think they, uh, look, I could go on Wake Forest. Um, I could have gone with Michigan State, because that's not that much of an upset. I had a lot of them I thought of, but I, I want to go big. I want to go Boston College. I want to say that I called that if it happens.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's a, a gutsy bet there, Ross. I like that one. I look, that would be such a classic Notre Dame loss, right? Even not even going back to to those days, but even just over the last half decade, you look at Notre Dame. It's like oh, right when they think or everyone thinks oh Notre Dame's back, and then they kind of call it, uh, fall flat. Uh, that would be a hell of a win there for BC. I'm going to go down to the SEC here, and I, I just kind of like the South Carolina team, man, and Ole Miss. Uh, that defense—they're really struggling to stop people. I look at South Carolina; they've got some players on offense. Harris, the running back, is really fun. I recently just studied shy Smith, and and I didn't love shy Smith in terms of uh, what he could be at the next level. Like I th- I kind of thought like, oh, he could be like a Ray Ray McCloud, who is uh, you know kind of a, a really nice role player uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers previously out in Buffalo. But you look at shy Smith. I know there are people that like him a lot more. Uh, you know, I know our friend Dane Brugler really likes him, really think likes his toughness. Um, in in all areas of the game. The one thing I really like about Shai Smith, number one, he plays the ball really well in the air. He fights for it. He's got really strong hands. uh, And then he will also um, be really effective with the ball in his hands as well. You know, he jets, sweeps, gadgets, get him the ball quickly, screen game. He's really decisive on the perimeter. Uh, So he is a fun player, certainly a playmaker for the Gamecocks, a four-year starter. I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, what he can do in this game against Ole Miss They've really, like I said, they've really struggled to stop anybody. So uh, I like South Carolina here. I like them to be able to run the ball with Harris and get things going there uh, with Shy Smith. So I will take uh, SC over Ole Miss there for my upset special. Ross, uh, we'll be breaking it all down next week here. We'll see if you can uh, continue closing the gap on me uh, in the overall race.
0: Yeah, let's do it, man. I'm 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 I feel a uh I feel a run coming on here. So I'm I'm coming for you, friend.
1: Well if that's the case, st- <clears throat> stop the counting. Stop the counting. It's awesome. <laughs> <that's all>. oh, <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> Thanks, I'm not gross.
0: even going there, friend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Really fun episode this week. Hope you guys enjoyed everything that we covered uh, all week long here on the Journey of the Draft Podcast. Great stuff earlier this week with Dane Brugler, Ben obviously uh, you know an all-star here on this show every single week, and then we got Ross Tucker, we got Thor Nyström. Hope you guys really enjoyed this week here on the Journey of the Draft Podcast, driven by AAA. We'll be back next week. Enjoy another week of college football.